and we are recording with Dr. Fox, who has been on here once before, who is uh, running for office. And as I just told him, uh, I've been extremely nauseous all day. So to anybody listening, if I don't sound nearly as animated, it's because I'm not. And so Dr. Fox is going to do the Lord's work and carry this podcast for me as both the guest and the host. So Dr. Fox, please introduce yourself to all the new listeners. Hi, Tommy. I'm uh, Richard Fox. I'm a uh, physician and attorney in uh, Los Gatos, California. Also running for the uh, 16th Congressional District uh, in the uh, House of Representatives uh, here from uh, California. So uh, I'm really uh, delighted to join you again today. Thank you. So everything we covered last time, what has changed now? Today is uh, Monday excuse me, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. What has changed now? What developments have changed? And what do you think you're going to have to focus on more for your campaign? Well, thank you. So um, in terms of my campaign, I'm still primarily focused on the uh, COVID issue as a physician and attorney. I've uh, done a lot of work in that area. Uh, I've uh, uh, early on came to the conclusion that uh, early treatment was uh, the way to go. Um, In the beginning, we had um, hydroxychloroquine, and later we added vitamin D, zinc, and most importantly, ivermectin. A very interesting recent development since we last spoke is that the legislature in the state of Tennessee passed a bill, and it was signed into law by Governor Lee, so that ivermectin is now an over-the-counter drug in the state of Tennessee. Um, I think it's kind of a, yes, it's it's kind of a cute story. You know, as you know, Tennessee is horse country, and uh, ivermectin is widely used as a deworming agent for horses. So I guess all of the uh, horse uh, feed and tractor supply stores were selling it anyway. So uh, they decided to make it legal to get it from the pharmacist. So at least the pharmacist could give you some advice as to what's the right dose for you since you're not the same as a horse. Um, So um, when I heard that, I started thinking about the difficulty that we've had getting ivermectin here in California. Uh, All the, uh, the, uh, the uh, chain pharmacies uh, like Walgreens and CVS, they stopped filling my ivermectin prescriptions months ago. Um, so uh, over the last uh, weekend, uh, I had a patient from up in San Francisco who wanted to get some ivermectin. It's not very close to the pharmacies uh, down in my area that I that will work with me. So we tried uh, getting it for him at a Walgreens in San Francisco, and what do you know, it worked. So maybe the winds are starting to uh, shift a little bit. Um, the uh, I have a, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Brian Tyson, who's a physician down in El Centro. He uh, works closely with George Farid, and George has been on your program. So Brian is also running for Congress. Uh, He's in the 25th Congressional District uh, down there. And uh, I I wish him the very best. As you know, he and George have treated over 10,000 COVID patients. And of those who come to them, 
within the first five days of the illness uh, and get started on treatment right away, they've had no deaths at all. Uh, that uh, compares uh, with uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, people, the people following his uh, treatments. Uh, we've uh, had a million deaths in America uh, of uh, people who followed Dr. Fauci's advice. I think it's pretty clear that uh, early treatment is, uh, is uh, very, very effective. It's also obviously very safe because in Tennessee, it's uh, over the counter now. Uh, <clears throat> I ran into a guy at one of my recent uh, political gatherings who had been taking ivermectin, but uh, he, he had no idea what the right dose was. Uh, he got it from some back channel or other. And uh, the amount he was taking was about 10 times more than I usually prescribe. Uh, so I asked him if he had any side effects like nausea, diarrhea. He said, no, really didn't notice a thing. So uh, I was very impressed at, uh, <clears throat> at uh, also the safety of uh, ivermectin. It seems to be pretty hard to hurt yourself with it. Uh, <clears throat> by contrast, we have these uh, vaccines that are uh, neither safe nor effective. Here in California, we've had uh, several pieces of legislation uh, offered uh, that are pending in the legislature. One is to require uh, COVID shots for all employees. Um, <clears throat> they've already done it to all of the uh, public uh, safety workers and uh, state and county and city workers. Now they wanna mandate all private employees. And of course, a lot of them have been mandated already by their employers. There's also a bill to mandate the COVID shots for all school children, which I think is really quite outrageous because school children never die of COVID. Uh, so school children have nothing at all to gain. The argument used to be that, well, we should vaccinate children to keep them from spreading it to the older folks when they get home. <clears throat> but it's now quite clear that the vaccines don't uh, prevent people from uh, spreading it to other people. So there's just uh, no excuse at all for um, vaccinating uh, children. And of course, it's uh, not safe in children. There have been quite a few uh, children who've been uh, injured and uh, a few of them even uh, uh, died due to the myocarditis that the uh, vaccines uh, cause. <clears throat> so uh, we uh, hope that the legislature uh, doesn't enact any of those any of those measures. Um, so if uh, you don't mind, I'd like to go a little bit more into the safety and effectiveness of these uh, vaccines. Absolutely. And uh, can I uh, share my screen with you so I can show a, a few yes. PowerPoints? Yes, sir. So let's see. Remind me, how do I do that? Or, uh, I just enabled it. So right. there should be like a green button at the bottom in the middle of your screen. Yep. Share screen. Okay. Nope, that's the wrong one. Nope. You're quite all right. Take your time. I uh, hit the wrong button here. No, I can't get back. <laughs> Sorry. You're you're quite all right. Let's. Uh...
Right. Uh, is that coming across? Yes, sir. Okay. And so, um, as with any medical uh, treatment, uh, especially the COVID-19 vaccines, these key issues are safety and effectiveness. And so the CDC says the vaccines are safe and effective. So if you believe anything that they say, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, but uh, not everybody... Uh, uh, takes the CDC at their word. Um, and in fact, if you dig around in their website a little more, you'd find out that uh, they do allow us how uh, you can get myocarditis and pericarditis in adolescents and young adults. Uh, they claim that these reports are rare. Just depends on what you mean by rare. Uh, there have been uh, many, many thousands of these cases. Um, so again, myocarditis and pericarditis, uh, they again say reports of death after vaccines are rare. Again, depends on what you mean by rare. Um, the uh, CDC runs this vaccine adverse event reporting system. Um, and you can see that all of the previous years, uh, there were only typically about 100, 125 deaths until we get to 2020. Uh, and in that one year, it jumped up to about 8,000. Um, so it's uh, uh, <clears throat> certainly not rare. Um, I'm going to skip that one. This is a very interesting uh, graph because it looks at... Uh, all-cause mortality, that is people who died of any cause. And we can see early on, um, there's a spike here where COVID first hit. Uh, there are three spikes in uh, 2020. Um, and then we have these later spikes in the summer of 2021. And there wasn't that much COVID around then. And uh, a lot of this excess mortality is the vaccines. And then again, when they rolled out the boosters in the January, February of this year, we had another spike of all-cause mortality. Most of the people who, uh, some people die of their COVID injections uh, within the first few days afterward. But it turns out that there's a long tail on that. And we have people dying uh, weeks and even months um, after their COVID injections. Uh, so it gets hard to pinpoint those. Um, one of the interesting things is if you break down that all-cause mortality by age range, um, and you can see that among the 25 to 44-year-olds, there's a 55% bump in all-cause mortality in that group. Um, People in that age, they're not supposed to be dying. Um, so it's a lot easier to see the COVID deaths because there's not as much background. So for uh, those uh, younger people, 55% increase in all-cause mortality. By the way, this is all CDC data. Uh, this down here comes from the CDC's website. 
people uh, 45 to 64 had a 34% uh, increase in all-cause mortality, similar for 65 to 75, and even 75 to 85, uh, a big spike in all-cause mortality uh, during the time that uh, the vaccines were being rolled out. So I think I'll skip some of these uh, slides. So one place where this uh, showed up was that um, the life insurance companies started getting a bunch of claims for people dying uh, prematurely. And uh, this uh, life insurance firm in Indiana uh, writes uh, employer-sponsored uh, death uh, benefits for employees. Uh, so these people are all, of course, working age people. They're all under 65. And uh, th because they're covered by their employer uh, uh, death benefit plans. And um, they noticed uh, that their deaths were up 40% uh, last year, uh, which they said is uh, statistically very, very anomalous because usually their the rate of death is pretty, pretty constant. So um, um, I'm going to try to play this video if I can. Uh, I'm not I'm not getting any audio. Oh. All right. We'll uh, we'll skip that one. But um, just to say that what his point is, is that um, this 40 percent increase is uh, is very startling. Usually in their business, if there is a 10 percent increase in one year, uh, that's such an unusual event that it only they only expect it to happen once every 200 years. Only once in 200 years do they expect to even have a 10% bump. So to have a 40% bump in this uh, group from 18 to 64 is, uh, is, is, is shocking. They didn't have this bump during the first year of COVID in 2020. This happened in 2021 once the vaccines rolled out. Another place where we're seeing um, a lot of unusual uh, deaths uh, just since the vaccines rolled out is in uh, competitive uh, athletes. Um, they're uh, dropping like flies uh, on the uh, field of competition, um, uh, just having cardiac arrest. And uh, uh, well over half of these, uh, uh, they don't even, they don't survive. So they've had, hundreds of professional athletes, particularly soccer players uh, uh, that have, uh, have just collapsed on the field. Apparently what's happening is that this is such high intensity exercise um, that their hearts are, uh, are working very hard and uh, they're more susceptible to fatal uh, arrhythmias under those circumstances. So these are young, healthy people that should not be dying. Um, so as we pointed out, the uh, VAERS deaths uh, are uh, up by thousands of uh, percents. Um, but uh, the CDC and the FDA 
uh, what they like to say is that, well, just because somebody dies after a vaccine doesn't prove it was caused by the vaccine. Um, and they go out of their way to explain that they don't actually investigate these deaths. So therefore, it's not proven to be caused by COVID vaccine. But my point is, if uh, we had a sudden spike in deaths due to airplane crashes, there'd be a lot of investigations and the airplanes would be grounded until they figured out what the cause was. Um, so for the uh, FDA and the CDC to say that these people are dying, but they're not investigating, um, that's just uh, a cover-up. That's just head in the sand. Um, and in fact, they the reason is they're not investigating is because they know that it's it's the vaccines. They just can't admit it. Um, so, but uh, some uh, non-American investigators uh, looked into this and uh, their findings were very interesting. Um, the two authors in particular, Dr. Bakhti and Dr. Burkhart. Uh, Dr. Bakhti has an interesting uh, theory. He's an immunologist that when the virus uh, act, uh, attacks you naturally, it comes in through your respiratory tract, your nose, your sinuses, your throat, and it replicates there initially and uh, before it uh, heads to your vital organs. So you have a chance to develop some immune defenses um, while the virus is still uh, in your uh, nose and, uh, and throat. Um, but when you inject the vaccine directly into the muscle, it bypasses that respiratory tract, goes directly to your internal organs, uh, particularly heart, lungs, liver, and kidneys. And uh, that's where the initial uh, encounter with the, uh, with the vaccine, with the uh, COVID RNA occurs uh, and produces a very different pathology. Um, Dr. Burkhart is a pathologist in Germany, and he autopsied um, 15 patients uh, between the ages of 28 and 89 who died anywhere between one week to six weeks, excuse me, six months post-vaccine. Uh, these people uh, just sort of dropped uh, dead randomly, apparently due to heart attacks. Uh, they were not suspected to die of COVID. They did not have vaccine injury listed on their death certificates. So Dr. Burkhart just uh, uh, took people at random who seemed to uh, just uh, die of heart attacks and strokes, um, typically at home or at work or on the street. The most common cause of death listed was rhythmogenic heart failure, which in Germany, it's the same as a, a fatal uh, heart arrhythmia. So in these autopsies, he had some very interesting findings. On the left here is a slide section of normal heart muscle. And on the right, heart muscle from one of his patients who died after getting the vaccine. The one on the left has a darker red stain on it. That's a staining artifact. The one on the right is lighter. 
the difference in the redness isn't the key finding. The key finding here is on the right, you see a lot of dark purple dots. In the lower right-hand corner, you see a small blood vessel in the heart. All those uh, purple dots are lymphocytes. Um, they're not normally found in these uh, in this kind of abundance in the heart, and they're all around this blood vessel because that's how the COVID RNA uh, got to the heart was uh, from being injected in the muscle and then getting into the bloodstream and then went into the heart, and it. Uh, attached itself to the endothelium of these uh, blood vessels in the heart. And you got this intense lymphocytic infiltrate. Um, so this is uh, the myocarditis. This is looking at it under the microscope. You can also see in that uh, blood vessel in the lower right-hand corner that there's a bunch of debris there. A lot of that is just sloughed off uh, lining cells from that blood vessel and they slough off and uh, clump together and they can block the blood flow through the heart. So you get this myocarditis with the uh, vasculitis. A little closer view, this is again, normal heart on the left and you see all these uh, 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 dark uh, purple lymphocytes uh, that should not be present. This is lung and uh, normal lung on the left. And on the right, it's a little uh, hard to see, but if you look at the arrow tips, you can see lymphocytic um, infiltrates uh, in the lung um, here in the mid upper left lung field and then the lower right lung field. Um, and they're scattered throughout uh, this tissue. Uh, so this is a lymphocytic uh, uh, um, pulmonary infiltrate. So, um, so we've seen that uh, these are, are not uh, particularly safe. There's a lot of deaths and they're due to this uh, inflammation of the heart, lungs. Um, so what about effectiveness? So <clears throat> according to the uh, CDC the, or the FDA, uh, these vaccines are about 95% effective at uh, preventing uh, infection and uh, preventing hospitalization and death. Um, but it turned out that uh, they only looked at that for the first two or three months, um, and then they declared uh, the uh, vaccines to be effective, and then they stopped looking at it after that. But in Israel, uh, they noticed after a few months that um, the immunity was uh, was uh, not lasting. This uh, I'll just go quickly over this, but um, the you, you can take your time. You're fine. Um, here we have um, the these bars. This in the upper graph, um, the, uh, th the third uh, group of bars um, um, is different time periods. And this is the effectiveness um, dropping off with the uh, passage of time. 
And the uh, British data is uh, even more striking. They have a pretty good uh, surveillance data in uh, Great Britain. In this graph, the vaccinated patients are the dark uh, black bars and the light gray bars are the unvaccinated patients. And this is the number of cases of COVID that they had after 10, 10 months after vaccination. So for everybody age 40 or more, you can see that after 10 months, the, the uh, 18 to 29 year olds, there's only a slight advantage um, of the vaccinated over the unvaccinated. By 30 to 39, the vaccinated actually are have more cases than the unvaccinated. And by the time you get past 40, the vaccinated are having twice as many cases as the unvaccinated. So what this shows is that not only does the effectiveness wear off after a few months, but after 10 months, um, the vaccinated are actually twice as likely to get COVID as the unvaccinated. So to call this a pandemic of the unvaccinated is ridiculous. This is a pandemic of the vaccinated. And the recent British data show that mo most of their hospitalizations and deaths are am among the vaccinated. Um, this is a more recent data. It's only about a week or so old. Um, and it's a little, um, it's a little dense, but these are cases uh, presenting to the emergency department and um, how long and, and the effectiveness, um, the rate of effectiveness at preventing COVID cases from coming to the emergency room. After one dose, um, they had about 50% um, protection against coming down with COVID. Um, after two doses, it got up to around 55%. So that's why we had to start giving these boosters is because it's just the, the immunity doesn't last. And uh, here, right after being getting your booster, the effectiveness was up to 82%. But by three months later, it's down to 55%. So even after you get boosted, you're going to need another booster and another booster and another booster. Uh, so once you get started on COVID vaccines, you're going to be on a treadmill for the indefinite future, getting boosted every six months or so. And we don't even know whether the adverse effects that uh, uh, that uh, myocarditis, uh, the uh, um, the uh, lymphocytic pneumonias, we don't know whether that builds up over time. That is. We suspect that each time you get vaccinated, you're more likely to uh, get the uh, complications of the vaccine. So, really, uh, getting on the getting in the vaccine game and then getting on the booster treadmill is really a uh, it's a road to nowhere. It's a it's a road to disaster. Um, this is British data about uh, effectiveness against mortality. Um, and again, 
the effectiveness is only about 50% uh, protection against uh, uh, death uh, after 25 weeks. Um, so just wanted to point out that uh, we've been down this uh, road with the CDC uh, before. Uh, Tommy, it might be a little before your time, but not before mine. I remember this. In 1976, we had the swine flu pandemic. Um, and so uh, back at that time, the uh, government projected a million Americans would die uh, from the uh, swine flu unless action was taken. The CDC said we needed a better safe than sorry approach. President Ford, no one knows how serious this threat could be. We cannot afford to take a chance with the health of our nation. Doesn't this sound just like Dr. Fauci? Um, you know, so they've, this, this bill of goods has been sold before. Uh, so here's President Ford getting up to uh, make his announcement. Uh, it was 1976. He was running for re-election, just like Trump was running for re-election in 2020. Ford felt that he couldn't afford to ignore the advice of the professionals from the government health agencies because the media would beat him to death with it once people started to die. So he had to sign on to this vaccine program. This is exactly what happened in 2020 to President Trump and with uh, Fauci telling him that we had to have vaccines. So he was a pretty good sport about it and he rolled up his arm and got his uh, COVID vaccine. Um, but uh, one of the problems uh, with this was that uh, after about 45 million people had been vaccinated, um, a bunch of them were starting to come down with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a, a neurological disorder causing uh, muscle weakness uh, and uh, paralysis. And in fact, we've had a lot more Guillain-Barre with the COVID vaccines, but they've been a lot better at covering it up this time. I think they only had about 50 or 100 cases of Guillain-Barre when they called the whole thing off because uh, they were getting uh, too many complications of it. They, you know, we've had 14,000 people die at least of the COVID vaccines um, and uh, they're still being uh, mandated. So um, the uh, summary here is that uh, the vaccines are uh, not safe, uh, not effective, and uh, they become less effective uh, as time goes on. And uh, you're more likely to get complications the more boosters you get. And But the most important thing is that the vaccines are less safe and less effective than early medical treatment. We know that uh, early medical treatment uh, never kills anybody. Uh, and if you get treated promptly, uh, it's uh, very, very likely that um, uh, you won't even be hospitalized, much less uh, die. So um, when we look at the data, they just don't support uh, mandatory vaccines, excuse me, vaccinations for, um, for all uh, with a vaccine known to be lethal and 
many cases when we have safer, more effective, non-lethal alternatives. Um, one of the, uh, let me, uh, let's see, can I opt out of this? Okay. Um, another thing I'd point out is we've had uh, a lot of uh, high-profile uh, cases of uh, COVID among the vaccinated recently. We had uh, Vice President Harris, um, who was all vaccinated and boosted, and she came down with it. Uh, Speaker Pelosi came down with it. Uh, the president's press secretary, Jen Pensaki, came down with it. Um, they were all uh, vaxxed and boosted. Um, so there's not much evidence that the vaccines uh, uh, keep you from getting COVID. Um, they're not, uh, they claim that they keep you from dying uh, from COVID, but uh, that effectiveness wears off after a few months. And in Great Britain, as I say, most of the hospitalizations and most of the deaths now are in the vaccinated. So um, another uh, recent development uh, of interest uh, earlier this week, Dr. Fauci came out one day and said that the pandemic was over. And then what do you know, the next day he came out and said, well, no, it's not over. Uh, so what was that all about? Well, most people know from their ordinary everyday experience that there's really not much COVID going around anymore. So why are we still saying that there's a pandemic? Well, the reason is that the politicians need to have the pandemic continue because Early on, the Secretary of Health and Human Services declared an emergency, and there's a statute that covers that. And once they declare the emergency, then they can do all kinds of things that they couldn't otherwise do. So if the pandemic were declared to be over, the government would lose a lot of powers that it, it now enjoys. And here in California, the governor has declared an emergency, and that gives him a lot of powers that he would lose. And if Dr. Fauci says that the pandemic is over, then the governor of California is going to lose a lot of his powers. So um, they got to keep the pandemic uh, going um, for a little while uh, until um, uh, they can't get away with it anymore. One of the other sort of interesting um, features of this also uh, as to why we need to have an emergency is uh, that if the emergency were declared to be over, uh, then there would be no legal authority to um, be uh, giving anyone the uh, COVID shots because the COVID shots have not yet been actually approved. Um, that is, they're still on emergency use authorizations. Um, the FDA did approve the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines for adults, but not for children. So that uh, vaccine that's been approved is called uh, Comirnaty. Um, and Pfizer is selling it in some other countries, but not in the United States. 
So if you go to get a COVID shot at the uh, drugstore, you're not getting the one that's been approved. You're getting the one that is still under emergency use authorization. Well, why would that be? But of course, they don't tell you that the one you're getting is the emergency vaccine. Um, uh, they sort of imply that it's been uh, approved, but then they don't tell you that you're not getting the one that's been approved. You're still getting the one that's on the emergency authorization. Well, why is that? Well, uh, again, it's a legal problem. Um, the vaccine manufacturers don't want to have any uh, liability for all the people who are dying and uh, getting heart attacks and strokes and Guillain-Barre syndrome and all that sort of thing from their vaccines. As long as they are using vaccines that are on emergency approvals, they're protected. You can't sue them uh, for your complications as long as they're, you're, they're using the emergency vaccines. Um, now, once they're approved vaccines, if they could ever get their those vaccines, the Comirnaty, if they could get that approved for all age ranges, not just adults, but even for small children, then they will fall under the protections of the Childhood Vaccine Safety Act, and they will have blanket immunity from lawsuit at that point. So that's why they are now pushing, and they're going to have a meeting next month at the FDA to push to get these uh, uh, unsafe shots approved for small children, not because they're safe or effective or even necessary for children, but the approval is necessary for the manufacturers because otherwise the manufacturers won't put out vaccines for anybody. So uh, we're really bogged down in a legal quagmire here and uh, people are getting uh, things that are really not FDA approved uh, but they're being told that they're approved um, and uh, the um, manufacturers are making hundreds of billions of dollars uh, peddling these. So the whole thing is really uh, uh, quite a mess. Um, anyway, let me stop there and let uh, you get a word in here, Tommy. I was going to no, you you did the Lord's work and, and did the podcast for me. Um, I wanted to ask, so what are the, realistic ways out of this? What could you do in office to realistically combat this? Well, thank you very much. Um, yes, we've thought a lot about that. Um, uh, clearly, we got to get the emergency declared to be over so that we can end the what I call the Fauci dictatorship. Um, um, another wonderful development, of course, is Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter. So now uh, we could at least start to talk about this a little more. Um, but what, what this has showed us is uh, the, that the government health agencies, the CDC, the FDA, and the NIH um, are really not to be trusted. Uh, they've uh, played a lot of legal games with us. They've uh, misrepresented things. They told us that early medical treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin was uh, unsafe and, and uh, not effective when that was an outright lie. And they knew it all along. 
And the reason they peddled that lie was because otherwise people would refuse to use the vaccines. If there was a safe, effective treatment, uh, people wouldn't want the vaccines. Um, so uh, these are uh, pretty, in, in my view, these are pretty corrupt uh, agencies. And the question is what's to be done about them now, some of my friends think that if we change the leadership in those agencies, and uh, um, which we can't, we wouldn't be able to do until uh, we can elect a new president. Um, if we could change the leadership in those agencies, they can be reformed. <clears throat> I'm uh, less optimistic about that. Here in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Silicon Valley, we're very much aware of what we call corporate culture. And uh, corporate culture tends to run from top to bottom. Um, um, we, uh, we saw that with uh, Google recently, where a bunch of Google employees actually got uh, picket signs and marched around the headquarters uh, protesting that uh, Google wasn't socially conscious enough. Um, so changing things at the top doesn't necessarily work. Uh, Disney is the same story. A bunch of Disney employees uh, 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 let management know that uh, they weren't socially conscious enough. And so uh, Disney uh, went and uh, took on um, Governor DeSantis. Uh, and, um, and those Disney employees in Disney were out in Los Angeles. Uh, they took on Governor DeSantis. And uh, I think Everybody could see that he won that round. Um, so corporate culture runs top to bottom. I'm not very optimistic that the CDC, NIH uh, uh, can be um, reformed as they are. I would probably radically restructure them. A lot of the functions that they perform really can be delegated to the states. Uh, Governor DeSantis has shown that uh, he knows perfectly good and well, um, his state knows how to uh, handle an infection and how to treat it, how to prevent it, and whether they need to lock down or they don't need to lock down. So uh, I think a lot of this could be delegated to, to the states. Uh, so I would radically reform um, the CDC and the FDA. Um, one reason that the uh, pharmaceutical companies are so um, powerful is that they, as, as, as anyone knows who watches TV, uh, they spend about as much money as anybody on TV ads. Well, when I was a boy, we didn't see those ads on TV, and that's because pharmaceutical companies were not allowed to advertise their drugs on TV. Uh, that, was, that only came later. They got a bill through Congress to allow them to uh, advertise drugs on TV. So obviously that was pushed through by big pharma and big media. I think it's probably time to pull the plug on that. Um, a lot of the ads are uh, misleading at best anyway. <clears throat> the ads always show smiling, happy people. Um, and then somewhere in the fine print uh, and in the background, somebody's telling you about the, the adverse effects. Uh, it's very incongruous. Um, so, uh, I'd get rid of the, uh, big pharma ad spend. Um, let's see. And on the NIH, um, here's an interesting thing. 
uh, on the news, uh, whenever they're doing a COVID story, they always talk to some expert who's a professor of infectious diseases at some prestigious um, uh, medical uh, school. Well, what they don't tell you is that the only way you get to be a prestigious uh, professor at a prestigious medical school is uh, because you've been very successful in bringing in NIH grant money. Uh, that's the only way you get uh, promoted. Uh, at one time in my career, I had an academic appointment at Harvard. And it was perfectly obvious that the only way you moved up the ranks at Harvard was based on how much NIH funding you brought in. So all of these uh, medical school academics, uh, they're just on Tony Fauci's payroll. Uh, and if they don't uh, toe the party line, their NIH funding is going to go away. So they're all terribly conflicted. They're all uh, getting lots of money from the NIH, and most of them are getting a lot of money from the pharmaceutical companies. So uh, to put these people out as uh, academic experts is folly. Uh, they're just shills for, um, for uh, Fauci and the, uh, and the drug companies. And so there's a lot uh, that we could do to uh, reform all this, uh, whether we've got uh, people in Congress, in the House and in the Senate who are willing to take on those bureaucracies. Um, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't show much backbone when we had this problem. They were all uh, willing to uh, defer to Dr. Fauci and let him become the dictator of the country. They were more than happy to vote for trillions of dollars of uh, spending. Um, and then, of course, uh, the result of all that trillions of dollars of spending was now we've got runaway inflation from all that money sloshing around. Um, so, um, yes, it would be nice if I could get elected to Congress, but we'd uh, need to elect a, a few hundred more uh, in the process. Uh, and that uh, may happen once uh, people figure out that they're being scammed um, and uh, and uh, they demand change. Um, if people are happy with the way things are going in this uh, country right now, they should vote to uh, reelect the people who are already there. But if they want change, uh, they need to start uh, voting some people out and voting some, some new people in. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's a lot of things that we could change both in the health establishment and in a lot of uh, other areas of the government that have been taken over by special interests, uh, as has the health uh, industry. So um, we're going to have to see as this campaign rolls out over the next few months, which candidates uh, uh, want to step up and, uh, and uh, say that they'll change things and, and are, are they really going to mean it or not. So. Uh, I know my friend Brian Tyson down there in El Centro. Uh, he'll, if uh, we can get him in there, he'd be another one. So um, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping. We'll see. We've got a California. We got a primary here in California coming up in a month, um, and um, so that's my immediate problem. Is uh, I've got a bunch of people in my race, and I got to get through the uh, primary. So. Um, 
Um, and, and if uh, you don't mind a, a self-promotional plug, anybody who uh, feels they want to support us, uh, it's uh, drfoxforcongress.com, and uh, we could use all the help we can get. Um, so you got any other questions for me, Tommy? Um, I'll put that link in the description. Um, Thank you. <clears throat> to kind of to kind of circle back to the institutional reform and how you'd need a new president and hundreds of new members of Congress. It's probably correct. Without that, though, what is there anything that you alone can do if you get in, even if it's a minuscule change or effect? What, well, what alone course, could you do? Yes. If you're inside the halls of Congress, you have a lot more access to the other people in sure. the Congress and in the Senate. So you get to go around and uh, talk to people and uh, speak up at hearings. I think there's a very good chance that the Republicans will take the majority in both the House and the Senate uh, this next year, in which case the Republicans will be running the committees. Right now, the, all the committees are run by Democrats. The subcommittee on health in the House is headed by Representative Anna Eshoo uh, of the 16th District here in California. And that's the district that I'm running against. And she's the incumbent I'm running against. So I try to remind people that she's the one who oversees Dr. Fauci, the CDC, and the FDA. Um, and uh, they might want to replace her if they're not very happy with how things are being run, because she is one of Dr. Fauci's biggest fans. She just gushes over him. She thinks he's God's gift to humanity. Uh, obviously, I don't share that view. I think he's <laughs> a dictator uh, obsessed with his uh, power and his uh, money. Um, and um, uh, a lot of the people I run into uh, 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 think even less of him. So um, I think we need to take control of those committees and then we can start holding hearings. Uh, we can call Dr. Fauci and these other people uh, to account. Um, and uh, at least some of them might decide that it's uh, time to retire rather than having to put up with people like me, uh, asking them a lot of questions at these hearings. Lastly, are you concerned at all about uh, election integrity? <laughs> Very good question. And um, it's uh, clearly a big problem uh, around the country. Uh, uh, it's been well shown that uh, there are lots and lots of uh, people who seem to be voting from the grave. Um, here in California, uh, the Democrats uh, control the legislature and the uh, executive branch of the government. And uh, so we have a pretty... Uh, uh, we have uh, laws here that allow uh, quite a bit of ballot harvesting. Um, so uh, they mail out the ballots and uh, particularly like in nursing homes and other places where they got big collections of people, uh, who knows who's actually filling those ballots out and putting them uh, in the mailbox. Um I was actually asked to be an election observer in the 2020 election, and I went down to the registrar of voters. Um, what I saw looked uh, above board. 
but it turned out that they weren't actually counting any votes that night. Uh, uh, they had been counting mail-in ballots in the days before election day, and then the vet ballots cast on election day. They didn't uh, count those on election day. They counted them in the days afterward. Uh, so having observers there watching the election, most of the uh, counting isn't uh, going to be observed. Uh, I think it's just sort of been set up that way so that it all uh, happens uh, out of sight. Um, as you know, in France, they had a national election um, just a week or two ago, and the results were out within a few hours. Everybody voted on everybody in France votes on election day, and the results are out in a few hours. Um, we used to do things like that here in the U.S. Uh, I suspect we probably should go back to something like that. Um, and uh, we do need a lot more uh, investigation. Uh, uh, some states have done investigations. Arizona has looked into it. I think Georgia did. Uh, but obviously, we're not going to get uh, the um, federal investigations into voting integrity with this current administration. Um, so, um, but that is a, a big problem. It was, uh, I can't prove that, uh, that uh, there was voting fraud involved in the Biden election. But uh, on the other hand, nobody could convince me that it's not a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh it seems to be the case. Um closing thoughts, anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on? Oh, you know, I can go on for hours, but uh um I think uh you know elections end up being referenda on the people in power. And if people think things are going well, they tend to give them another turn at bat. And when things uh, are going to hell in a handbasket, uh, that's when they want to throw the rascals out. And all across the uh, country, we're seeing that mood that uh, people are very disillusioned about what happened in COVID. Um, a lot of people died. A lot of uh, draconian dictates came down. Businesses were closed. Kids were put out of school. A lot of parents had to quit their jobs to stay home and take care of the kids, watch the kids. Uh, college students lost years of their education. Um, inflation is uh, completely out of control now. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, as you know, a feeling of uh, discontent uh, abroad in the land. Um, all the polls uh, show the worst uh, you know, polls for incumbents, you know, in modern history. So I think the people are in the mood to uh, throw the rascals out um, and uh, we'll be able hopefully to take control of the uh, House and the Senate next year, but we'll still have uh, Democrats uh, at the White House. Um, uh, we have a president uh, who... Uh, seems to take orders from the Easter Bunny. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a disgrace. Um, uh, obviously, he's not going to be running for re-election in 2024. Uh, I'm, I'm a little doubtful that he'll even make it to 2024. 
that he'll he'll be there such a political uh, millstone around the neck of the Democrats that they'll want to replace him. Um, but on the other hand, when you th think about that, give it a little more thought, then you ask yourself, well, who could they replace him with? Um, they have, you know, they have no players on the bench, you know, ready to, you know, come in and, and uh, you know, be the relief pitcher. So um, I, I don't see how Biden makes it to 2024, but it, I have a hard time seeing uh, what replaces him. So we'll be in much better shape once we take the House and the Senate, but we'll, we're not out of the woods by a long ways. So uh, we uh, live, as they say, in interesting times. Um, so those are, uh, I guess, my thoughts as to uh, where we're headed here, and we'll see how things play out. Beautiful. Dr. Rich Fox, thank you so much, sir. I will put that link in the description, and as always, I'll email the uh, link to you once it's uploaded, and uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime. I'd love to be back. Anytime you want, Tommy, I'd, I'd, love, to be, I'd love to be back. Awesome. Good to see you, and you uh, well. hope you feel better. And thank you for carrying this podcast. You put the team on your back. Uh, I, I absolutely could not host an episode today. I'm so lucky that that you took the reins. That is, I mean, God, Godspeed. You, you, you've gained some brownie points in my book. You did my job today. So I will absolutely have you back on. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, I'll look forward to it, Tommy. All right, thank you so much.